Section 12 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland, dating from 1837, by Tom Petrie and others as recorded by Constance Campbell Petrie. Part 1. Chapter 12. Emus. The blacks used their nets to catch emus at times. They knew where these birds came for water, and would set nets accordingly to entangle them, and if successful would dispatch them with weapons. At other times the natives would lie hidden and spear the birds as they went by. Emu feathers were much valued. The gins wore them in their hair on occasions. Eggs were found and eaten. An emu was called Nigurun, scrub turkeys. These were hunted, and their nests were sought. The latter sometimes contained a great number of eggs, several birds evidently laid in the same place. The eggs were just laid on the ground and covered over with a multitude of leaves and small sticks and left to come out on their own account. They were never sat upon. These nests or heaps were easily discovered as they were quite big, sometimes two feet high. A scrub turkey was called worgen. Swans. The Turbal or Brisbane tribe, not the natives of the Maruchi River, called a black swan Maruchi, Maruchi. Swans were caught in the molting season. They could not fly then. The blacks went after them in their canoes. Gins kept the small feathers for ornamenting their hair, and the men always kept the down, carrying it in dillies. This down was used to dress up the body for fights or corroborees. Bribey Passage and South Passage were favorite resorts of the swan. The natives caught their young and found their eggs. Ducks, Negau'u Nets were put across one end of a large lagoon, which ducks frequented. The natives hid themselves, and when the ducks came, frightened them up, and then threw two or three boomerangs in among them. The ducks, thinking these were hawks, would shoot downwards and get stuck in the net. The aborigines used two kinds of boomerangs. One, when thrown, would return to the center's feet. The other did not return. The latter was used in fighting, while the former was chiefly a plaything. It was, however, the one which returned which was used in this way to frighten birds. In large swamps in summertime, the natives would go into a waterhole, and standing there with the water up to their necks, they held a little bush in front of them which hid their heads. The ducks, thinking this was just an ordinary bush, swam gaily near and nearer as they fed, and were suddenly grabbed by the legs and pulled under. Ducks were very plentiful then, and sometimes several were caught this way. At other times they took fright and were off. The eggs of a duck were much appreciated, and ducklings were often caught. Birds were generally singed and rubbed free of feathers, then cooked in the usual way on ashes, but sometimes a duck would be rolled in a big ball of mud, feathers and all, then put right under the ashes. 
when cooked the mud and feathers would all come off together and the inside too would readily come away leaving the duck nice and clean no other bird was cooked in this way ducks feathers were kept for the women's hair as were all small feathers parrots pillin cockatoos kayar towards sundown from the lowlands the parrots flew in flocks up the gorges of the mountains to roost for the night after their feed of the day the natives set nets across the trees where they knew they would pass and as the flocks flew along boomerangs were thrown in among them and the parrots thinking like the ducks that these were hawks dived down and were caught in the nets great numbers were captured this way Parrots were also sneaked upon when sitting on nests, and the young birds were likewise caught and eaten. If any bird's nest, on the ground or on a tree, were discovered, it was watched for the sake of the bird that came to it. Many different kinds were caught so. Cockatoos were greatly valued for their yellow topknots, which were called billabilla, and were worn by men as described. They built their nests in hollow limbs. Quail doer the natives went out in four or five lots in different directions and as these birds were frightened up they threw little waddies at them the different lots worked into each other's hands new farm and eagle farm were great places for quail my father has hunted there for them plants animals birds and fish were all roasted on hot cinders and so were certain roots and tubers of plants the natives got the root of a fern blechnum cerulatum which grew in the swamps in great quantities it was mostly the gins who dug this up and put it in their dillies to carry to camp great loads there would be at times for the root was highly esteemed it was called bangwell and was first roasted, then scraped and cut up finely with sharp stones on a log when it was ready to eat. Bangwell was generally eaten with fish or flesh, as we use bread, though also eaten separately. In a camp, my father says, one would hear the chop-chop continually all over the place, as this food was prepared. It was very much used. The root of a fresh-water rush typha augustifolia was also eaten this was something like arrowroot and was called yimban the outer skin was taken off and then the roots were chewed raw until nothing was left but fibre which was thrown away a large leaved plant which grew on the edge of the scrubs alocasia macroriza was also sought for its roots it is well known as kunjavoy but the brisbane blacks called it bondal this plant is poisonous but the blacks prepared the roots by soaking them a long time and then they were pounded up and made into cakes and so roasted on the cinders the wild yam dioscorea transversa was found on the edge of the scrubs this is a small vine with a root like a sweet potato the gins would have to dig three feet sometimes for this root tarm which was very nice roasted different kinds of flowering ground orchids were dug up and the tuberous roots eaten but these were very small the cabbage tree palm livistonia australis and common palm archontophenix cunninghami young shoots coming out at the top 
were just pulled and eaten raw as a vegetable. The cabbage tree was called binkar, and the common palm picky. Of late years the latter name has grown to picky bean. A large bean, Canavalia obtusifolia, yugum, which grew in the scrub on vines, was pulled before it was ripe while soft, and the beans taken from the pods and soaked in water. These were then pounded up and made into cakes and roasted. If not prepared so, they were poisonous. The natives declared that the soaking and roasting took all badness away. For soaking beans, roots, and nuts, netted billies were used. This prevented them getting lost, and yet allowed the water to get at them. After white people came, the blacks soaked corn in the same way to soften it. The Morton Bay chestnut, Castanospermum austral, or mai, was also poisonous. The nuts were cracked and soaked, then pounded, and made into cakes and roasted. The blacks called the white man's bread mai after this, when they first got into the habit of using it. The nut of the zamia, Cycas media, was another poisonous form of food used. It was cracked, then soaked, and afterwards roasted. Several nuts and different kinds of berries were just eaten raw. The banyi I have already spoken of. The fruit of the gibong, persunia, or dulandela, as the Brisbane tribe called it, was eaten raw and greatly relished. The natives got dillies full of these in the right season. They swallowed the pulp and the stone which they squeezed from the skin with their fingers. It is a small green fruit. Two kinds of wild fig were also just eaten raw. The larger kind was nigoa and the smaller nayuta. A white green spotted berry which grew on a small green bush, Myrtus tenuifolia, on sandy islands was very sweet. The natives call it midium. Another berry, dabul, grew on sandy beaches. Wild strawberries and raspberries were also found. Dogwood or denna, Jacksonia scoparia, gum, was much eaten, and different kinds of blossoms were sucked for the honey. The pandanus or breadfruit, winum, was chewed at the end and sucked. Meals the aborigines had no stated times for meals. They ate whenever they had food and were hungry. Generally, however, there was a feast in the evening after the day's hunting. In the morning, all would start out in different directions for the day, and if traveling, they arranged where to meet for the night, or, supposing they were stationary, they all turned up at the same place again. About the middle of the day, while hunting thus, they might rest at some creek or water-hole to cook food, and very likely have a swim. Very happy they were, always laughing and joking, and extra merry after a good meal when they danced and sang. Father says it was a great sight seeing them come into camp in the evening, a little before sunset. They would come in from all directions, laid in with all sorts of things, kangaroos, possums, snakes, honey, eggs, birds, fish, crabs, different kinds of root and fruit, etc. They started cooking these, and as the sun bid his farewell there, arose that weird cry for the dead already mentioned. The gins would have wood already gathered for the fire, and also a supply of water. Water 
when water tabil was scarce to get some the blacks dug small wells in swamps this water would be muddy and to clear it a lot of fern leaves were put in the hole this they said made the sediment sink to the bottom also in carrying water in a picky from place to place fern leaves or grass were always put in with it as well as clearing the water they said this prevented its spilling to obtain water the blacks also tapped the tea tree they got a little that way but it had an unpleasant taste fire the natives obtained fire darlo by friction to do so they used the dead stick-like flower stems of the grass tree in this way one thick stick was taken and the surface split off on one side this was then placed on the ground with the flat side uppermost and in the centre of the stick a tiny hole was made all round this hole on the ground were placed pieces of dry grass and leaves also rotten powdered sapwood now another stick was got somewhat thinner than the other and the native sat down on a log beside the first and placing the point of the second into the hole he held the first with both feet firmly to the ground while with his hands he rolled the second round and round very rapidly pressing it down all the time in the hole this continual rubbing and rolling gradually wore through the hole and in the end the friction caused sparks which falling on the dry leaves and sapwood were carefully blown into a blaze my father has tried to obtain fire in this way but never managed it being unable to roll the stick properly it was only on rare occasions that the natives needed to do this for they took care always to carry lighted fire sticks with them wherever they went these were principally of iron bark as that wood kept lightest longest walking along these sticks were held in front carefully from the wind and a fire was set going wherever a halt was called even crossing to an island in a canoe the natives did not forget their fire sticks two or three were always kept burning on some clay at one end of the canoe signs etc when travelling from one place to another the blacks if they wished to let their friends know of their approach would set bushfires going for the same purpose as they passed along they pulled up a bunch of grass and twisting it round another bunch would bend the hole in the direction in which they went thus giving their friends the idea in which way to follow in the scrub a twig would be broken or bent here and there however after the advent of the whites they were careful not to make distinct tracks for fear of being followed by the police in travelling from one place to another they generally took the same track and this was always the shortest way they never journeyed in a roundabout fashion when a young man and woman ran away together so that their tracks might not be followed they would walk along the beach into the sea then travelling in the water for some little distance they at length walked out backwards so leaving a misleading track behind them often the natives would signal across the water with their hands from one point to another for instance they were in the habit of doing this from kangaroo point to north brisbane signs they called mirimbul and they could understand one another thus they were in the habit of signalling from the two points of morton and stradbroke islands in those early times south passage was very much narrower than it is now 
Father remembers it so, and says the natives used to cross there in their canoes. The old natives said that long ago there was no passage at all, but the two islands were one, and this is possible, even probable. End of Part 1, Chapter 12